Hey everyone, it's another MSP Initiative Live. Uh, it is Thursday. Yes, the week has progressed, believe it or not, even though many are still in the basements and the backyards and the caves, etc. Uh, today, I welcome a new guest to uh, the podcast here, Mr. Cole Halpin. How are you doing, Cole? I'm doing pretty good, George. Happy to be here. Excited to talk about some stuff today. How are you yeah, doing? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, hey, it's starting to get, get warm, and for a guy based out of Philly, I, I like when the snow melts. You know what I mean? I'm in Montana, and it's like 50, 60 degrees right now. It's 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 a wild time. I, it feels like Texas and me just flipped for the past month. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, for, for people who haven't run into you before, Cole, don't know about you, your business, your MSP, why don't you just give us a little just, you know, kind of who are you, where you're from, what your company is, just a little background. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm Cole Halpin of Avitas Technology Services. Um, we are based in Billings, Montana, with an office also in Springfield, Missouri. Um, you know, we, we uh, service about 5,500 uh, end users, unfortunately for them, but lucky for us. Um, so, but pretty peer play MSP, obviously, you know, huge emphasis on the cloud. Um, we are, we are a national company. We have clients all the way from California to Maine, but still have a pretty, pretty geo-focused radius in the Montana and Missouri markets. But, um, and again, plain, not a, not vertical focused to an extent. We do a lot with HIPAA. We do a lot with nonprofits. Um, but we, we still work with construction companies and engineering firms and CPAs. So um, kind of a little bit, a little bit across the board there, but, you know, um, founded in 2009, just kind of been, been chugging along. And honestly, um, last year with, even with COVID and everything, it's been a really strong year for us, kind of uh, diving and getting our feet wet much more in the co-managed space. That's really been our, our biggest avenue for us. And it's been really exciting. So, um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. No, it's fantastic. I mean, listen, we're, uh, you're managing a lot of customers, so that's fantastic. Um, and you know, yeah, co-managed has definitely been uh, a big topic, right? A lot of people have been growing with that. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's been a lot of question as to, um, the best way to get there, right. And still make money and not get, you know, hosed mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. But once you figure out your recipe, right. And figure out which, you know, mix of services you can, you know, make work in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely profitable for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It all comes down to the, the, what we've definitely learned is every co-managed, and I think other people said it, it's, it's a different engagement every single time. Every co-managed has a very different need. Where traditional MSP, obviously you're coming in with the mindset of you're just going to do everything for them. Well, that co-managed, again, they have varying needs. Maybe again, maybe they have their help desk, but they need more senior engineers to help them with the bigger stuff or vice versa. They got some great engineering team. They just need someone to help them on the front end. Um, maybe they need some specialized work. Maybe they need tools. Again, it's. I think it's one of the things I like about them though is um, they're very solution oriented, um, those engagements are. So which kind of make them fun and easier to drive value, I, I think for us, so. I mean, but yeah, I guess the big pick, the, the big question I have with that, and since you've been doing a lot of it is, since everyone's so custom, how do you, how do you scale? Like if it's not standardized to a degree, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you make it so that you don't hit a glass ceiling? Yeah, no, that one is definitely an interesting one. And, you know, we, it's something that I've been keeping in mind, you know, one of the things that we do is we still try and silo in terms of what we want to do from a co-managed engagement and do just a couple of areas like, okay, is this where we're giving them our, our box of tools and our expertise on the back end, uh, and they're managing the day to day operations. 
Um, our other silo would be okay. They need a, they need just need a tier one, essentially outsourced help desk, and then everything out that triages back to them. Again, the, the the big key for us is obviously creating those lines in the sand and not trying to do everything. Like I'm not a SQL shop, so if you need a SQL developer, I'm not the right kind of guy for you in that. And I would definitely recommend people don't try and be that jack of all trades in that. Because um, again, like you said, scalability is obviously going to be something that's. Uh, you're going to be a challenge. Uh, I got to th- think that your service agreement, MSA, scope of work, a combination of everything there is really, really clear <laughs> when it comes to the co-managed stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and then the, the rules of engagement up front through the MSA is one of the most important things to make sure that everyone understands this is what we're doing. This is what we're not doing. Um, you know, look, Again, when I talk about those those silos, we have essentially like four MSAs in total. We have basically almost our traditional our traditional MSP, and then we've got a couple spinoffs for the co-managed. And you can adjust a little verbiage here and there, but at the end of the day, um, it, to be successful, you absolutely need to say like, look, I'm doing your help desk. I'm not going to touch your servers. I'm not going to touch your switches. I will do user change management, license additions, things like that. Um, once it gets into these applications, it's on your team. We kind of just hand it off from there. So this is an example of a way to make sure that, you know, you know, the line in the sand is clearly defined. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when you're, you know, we'll get on to our main topic in a second, but when you're prospecting for the co-managed, is your decision maker internal IT or is your decision maker CFO or how, how does that whole thing work? You know, what I would say is it depends on, you know, where you're targeting for a co-managed. So we've done some co-managed where they're a 75 person shop. They really just have an IT guy. But in terms of proposal, we're generally working with like a CFO and it's got the IT guy who's just verifying things. But as you start to move up more mid-market, one of our clients is about 1200 users. They've got a CTO. Like I'm, we're working with them on pretty much everything. And then their security teams and you get a lot of different perspectives, but on the smaller co-managed, you're going to be working with a CEO, CFO, um, larger engagements. Almost every time for us has always been a CTO. They're always going to have some level of infrastructure at, at that scale at that point. If they don't, I have no idea how they made it, <laughs> but those are always going to be your point of contacts in those, but which is for me, I think has worked out best because, you know, um, you, I've always enjoyed being able to talk to a tech guy. Um, you know, that's always, it's a little bit, I don't say easier for me, but they understand what you're talking about. You can get into the nitty gritty of a lot of the stuff that you do and the tools where, you know, if you, that's exactly what you don't want to do with the CFO. Right. So, uh, they're very different talk tracks. No, fair enough. I mean, these are all good points and hopefully people are paying attention, right? I, I don't think the co-managed conversations new per se, but I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize how many people pivoted and how that strategy made 2020 up until now look a lot different Mm -hmm. absolutely and you know i think co-managed became even more viable this uh, essentially last year and this year because and and i've talked about it before but it's you know a lot of mid-market companies specifically when you have to do layoffs with COVID or whatever gutted it departments are like the first thing that happens almost across the board it's always like got the IT guys. So the work doesn't go away. So they still need augment. They still need help. And um, that's where the co-manage really can come into play really quick. And we saw a lot of activity in the larger mid-market type clients because that's exactly what happened. They cut their IT team in half. They still got to figure things out. Well, let's get you some better tools. Let's augment you in certain ways. Um, but the reality is, I think if you want to move upstream, if you want to get into those better clients or say better clients, larger clients, the co-managed is a very natural way to, to do it. I mean, but that said, look, co-managed isn't for everybody. If, if you, if it's, 
it's absolutely not. If that's just not what you do, if you're not able to put that line in the sand or have your team understand that, um, you're probably going to fail. It's going to become a nightmare for you and the clients. So going into it with the right mindset is probably the biggest key. If, if you're looking at just getting into co-managers and never having done it before. It's, de- I mean, it's definitely, um, I mean, I'm sure, listen, there's a lot of peer groups out there. There's a lot of informal guys that just talk with each other. It's been, it's been a consistently ongoing topic, I, at least from what I, you know, the people that I talk to on a regular basis. So, mm-hmm. and people are winning with it. So I'm really happy to hear that even like, listen, you're, you're in Montana, although you're, you're servicing nationwide, you're kind of in the sticks a little bit, right? But yeah. Hey, it's still working. The strategy still applies. So yeah, if um, I can do it in Montana, you can do it anywhere. Yeah. That's <laughs> hey. Somebody put, I'm sure somebody's trademarked that, but put that on a t-shirt and start telling me. Um, all right. So let's circle back to the main, the main topic, right? Which is, so you're an MSP and, you know, in your circles, what happens every time when a vendor that you're either looking into or invested in, right? Maybe you're already transacting, you're already doing business, gets acquired, right? And we've seen, even just this week, a lot of movement, mm-hmm. a lot of Right. Um, I, I hear through the grapevine that it wasn't even supposed to be out there. It accidentally got pushed out by a media outlet. Um, but the, the newest one this week was, um, you know, Rocket Cyber getting acquired by Kaseya and their umbrella of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the one that's like hot off the press, even though the press was supposed to hold it, I think, until next <laughs> month, I hear. Um, so that so that brings up a good conversation right like one of the guys on on one of the facebook chats here on our stream said hey you know like you never even told me an acquisition hired he, he mentions it boost really never broadcast that they got acquired by connectwise until connectwise basically went out and said hey we bought we got these guys so um or you read it online right right um, so there's there's an onion here right <laughs> so number one it's how do these people get uh, or get, a, get awareness right that this transaction even happened what happens after that handshake occurs and that contract gets signed. And, you know, so, so let's zoom back for a second, right? From your chair, as a guy who's invested in the MSP space, I mean, your stack, your tools, your pro, your software is a pretty big part of the conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. you can throw as many human beings as you want. At some point, you're just going to run out of people, right? So mm-hmm. software is required <laughs> at a lot of levels, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's a good and a bad with all of the money that and the, and the spotlight that's being sh- sh- shine on MSP land, right? Like, we, you know, it, you know, in 30 seconds we could say Toma Bravo, Connectwise, Insight, Kaseya, um, uh, Vista was that auto task, and then they went public. So right. it was a combination of the couple of the people we just said. Then they went public, um, and it just goes on and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, what do you like? What's your, per, you know, like top of mind? First thing that comes to you is it frustration? Is it concern? Is it, eh, it's just a natural course of events? Where, where do you start off on this? I mean, I definitely think, you know, top of mind, it's inevitable. I think any of these larger players, they're always going to be looking at, hey, if this, if they be the corner of the market or they're the best in this market and we want to add this to our portfolio there is no shot that they're not going to try to acquire some sort of company. It's always from a, from an economical perspective, it's generally easier to buy and integrate than try and build it yourself. Right. So I think that that's generally going to be the angle a lot. So I think it's inevitable. You know, I, I think for me though, if, 
and this isn't even specific to the Rocket Cyber one, but in general, if you're consuming a vendor uh, and they're acquired by a PSA or somebody that you don't leverage, I think it's very natural to have a concern about what does that mean for you. Um, and, and, and just to play, I guess, I won't say devil's advocate, but looking at Rocket Cyber um, and say specifically, so I'm a ConnectWise shop. And if I, and if I was, I don't, and I don't use Rocket Cyber, but if I did, and suddenly I'd have concerns, well, are they, how much focus are they truly going to spend on my integration, keeping that up to date compared to what's happening with Kaseya? You know, at the end of the day, um, you just don't know what the priorities are going to be. And obviously they're going to, as a Kaseya owned company, the priority there will be make Kaseya's, you know, as best as possible. That's part of the whole, whole thing. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to abandon any of the other PSA integrations, but naturally you wonder how much focus will they really get um is what it is now going to be what it is for probably a long time kind of thing um and you can extrapolate that's really any any sort of vendor that gets acquired um and and then there's also the flip side of the argument which is just as fascinating to me is okay well what if you love the product you're not concerned about the integration but you absolutely hate the hate the business that acquired them so you could absolutely love, you know, you could love Rocket Cyber, but say like, look, Kaseya is just not for me. Uh, and I just don't like that. So there's so many narratives that happen when that acquires by a large PSA. Again, I don't, I think it's inevitable. I think you're always going to have to cross this bridge with any of your tools. Um, it kind of, it's, it's a kind of an interesting thing that happens in our industry where you, you almost don't want to get married to a solution um, because there's a lot of change. It's like, I, I know I need an email filtering solution, but maybe I don't marry that specific vendor because something could happen. Um, you know, you always want to make your stack and make it as solidified as possible, but it makes it, it just makes a really interesting dynamic. If again, some, something gets acquired and if that was part of your stack and you got to replace it, what do you do? So it's interesting. Brent, Brent kind of makes a, I think a cheeky question, but a, a good one nonetheless. He's like, is the answer to only use tools that have all been acquired, but still meet your needs. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, there's something to be said for um, the ecosystem approach. I'm not trying to steal marketing. I'm just taking it as a generalization. Like mm -hmm. all of these companies are trying to stack all of the different check boxes, right? Into one choice, right? Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that you just said, maybe I start looking to decentralize my product set where their goal is for you to centralize as much as humanly possible. So mm -hmm. there's a countering current, right? From your seat versus what the actual end game is of the guy over here who's actually making all these transactions. Right. Um, to your point, um, you know, like what happens if you don't like the buying entity, right? Like, hey, you know, um, IT Glue was acquired, you know, a few years back by Kaseya. You know, I guess the generalization on all of the keyboard muscle forums, and you know them all, the Reddits and the Facebooks and the Discords and the Slacks. And yeah, I, I sometimes lose track is what the product hasn't gone anywhere since the acquisition, right? Like where's the development? Where's the progress? Where's the enhancement, right? And I guess the big concern when you try and put two and two together is, is the blueprint you know, once, once this happens, the product's just stuck in the mud. Is that, is that really the concern? 
I think, um, and that's where it gets interesting. I think, you know, the different buying entities have a little bit different focus. Like, I think you've seen some that get acquired and still are able to, you know, be, still be viable solutions, still keep building on what they have. I think it obviously, and that's where it gets into the unknown from an MSP perspective is like, what is, what is the real focus of that, the buying entity? Are they just trying to add it to their portfolio and be like, look, we're not going to put much more time into it. You're a decent product. We'll, we'll sell it. We, we're going to make a lot of money. We don't have to put a lot into it, right? We just got to support what's there. Um, I think when, when you deal with the unknowns and that's where even when on the ecosystem of being all in one, you know, under one umbrella, that, that spawns some pretty interesting conversations just this week is, well, how, from a security perspective, how ideal is that? Having all of your, there's pros and cons, right? It's like, oh, only one house to protect, but one same vulnerability across the entire house. So you have, you have both sides of the coin. Um, I don't think that there's an ideal answer there. I mean, I will say for me, that's one of the reasons why we don't just solidify on one thing. You know, one thing can generally protect you from something, some other vulnerability, but um, there, there's pros and cons. That is obviously the main goal. They're like, hey, I want you to just be Kaseya and have my entire stack or ConnectWise and use my entire stack or whatever it might be. Um, that's their end goal. Um, but there's definitely, at least in my opinion, a very um, differing opinion from the MSP space on if that's a good or a bad idea. Um, every, and passionate, passionate discussions on, on both sides of it. Um, and I don't think anyone's specifically right or wrong, um, but I also don't see it changing. I think, you know, if you look at the long game, uh, this kind of thing is not going anywhere. They're going to keep acquiring and keep adding to the stacks. And what, the, what does that mean for you? Um, again, you, we could we could be looking in the long game where it's, yeah, everything is going to be owned by three or four major players. And you pretty much in order to be efficient, you have to consume everything in their stack because the integrations don't line up. Like that's one of the interesting things I'm not sure is going to happen. Um, but theoretically it could and be like, well, look, I just got to use all these because they work the best with my PSA. And that's, that's mm -hmm. all that matters. Right. I mean, one of the big things that happens and, and I get, I get it. It's just, it's almost the playbook, right? Like we are like, you immediately know what what's going to happen is that um, very rarely. I mean, I haven't seen it. Maybe you you're in a different position. Very rarely do do all the the products that get acquired by an, a, a larger vendor. Um, your service agreement never gets amended. Everything's still in its own lane, and then all of a sudden they're talking about price increases and term extensions and. You know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like the one comment was, I didn't even know you got acquired. I got an email out of nowhere where I read it on somebody's website. You never even said anything. But then <laughs> after that happens, it's, hey, you know, uh, you know, your price is about to go up. <laughs> so I'm here and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've been we're good. I've been paying my bill forever. Why? What, what's changing now? I didn't ask you to change anything. Right. Um, how do you even handle that conversation? Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, that's definitely the playbook of what they're trying to do or, or what just eventually happens with all of those. I mean, I think for me, at least from what I've seen from my seat is, again, you acquire and you buy a lot of them. But again, the price rates have the price, the price changes absolutely happen. You know, that's coming. Nobody ever buys anything and keeps the price in the same. I haven't seen that pretty much in any of the vendors that I've ever used and got acquired. It's just what happens, right? And there's a lot of business reasons for it. But outside of that, I also don't even see like a ramp up from like an integration perspective. Like, I think they get it to a point where it's it's OK and that's where it needs to be in order to sell. And, and you know, basically, yeah, it's OK. It, it's, it's, it's a product, right? Hey, yeah, I can talk to our stuff. It works OK. That's as far as they need to take it from a business perspective to make it sellable and profitable. After that, 
how much time and energy are they going to put in that? Probably not much, which has always been, at least for me, something that you like about an independent vendor or has always been a bonus. It's like their emphasis is to build that because that is directly to their to their cash flow and their business model. Uh, and they want that to be as good as possible. So I think it just brings um, a conflicting um, narrative for them to try and maintain, especially when you start talking about integrations to the, co- the competition. Those are the, the very natural ones where you start at least... For me, I start to have concerns about how long is it going to be viable before it just starts having more nuances, more little quirks, more breaks to it, and just doesn't maintain the right way. Well, coming off of that thought, though, what happens when large vendors start acquiring smaller vendors that overlap? Like at yeah. some point, something's got to give. Like they're not going to keep on maintaining it. They're going to start collapsing things and deciding, oh, we're cutting this. We're keeping this. This mm-hmm. one, this didn't. Like. If you're invested in a product and you get the, the flag saying, hey, we're discontinuing this sucker, end of life, have a nice day. If you want to move over to something else, let us know. I mean, that's got to be coming down the pipe, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because and that happens. That uh, strange. I say it's strangely. Obviously, that happens like, oh, yeah, there's maybe they're 40 percent different, 60 percent overlap. But it's like, look, this one does it the best. We'll take a few things over here, chop up, chop away the rest. And again, like you said, replace it and get rid of it. Uh, I mean, you know, I think at least for me, I've, I've been mostly lucky, but I'm still even kind of curious, like even just go to that same situation with ConnectWise and Continuum. And now you have LabTech and uh, I, I guess Continuum's, uh, you know. <laughs> versus yeah. Continuum RMAN, whatever it's called. Exactly. So like, even from my perspective, like, are you going to maintain both of those forever? What's the long game there? I, it doesn't make sense to me. I wouldn't make sense if I was the business operating. Why do I have two, uh, two under my own umbrella, right? Um, so it's going to get chopped. You're going to be an MSP that could likely get burned. Um, and even in the short term, while they're making that, what you're probably going to see is again, like going back to your your earlier comment, is you're probably going to see a price change immediately, just because even if they know that they're going to sunset, they're going to try and honestly suck suck as much business revenue out of it as possible before they sunset it. And then yeah, they're going to be like, okay, we'll move over here, go over to this product. Here's a special or whatever to you know <laughs> transition you right. Uh, it, for me, you know, I just say if I was using an RMM and my RMM says, hey, we're going away. This is the new RMM. I just probably would ditch ditch that company's RMM entirely rather than move to the new solution. So you can apply that to any, you know, any of the smaller vendors that they acquire and merge. But I think that's, that that's the challenge for, for an MSP is um, I mean, you never know when any business is going to be acquired, right? Everybody's got an end game for their business, but it's, it's when you see it happen. Um, and especially if it's a vendor you're really integrated with um, I, at the very least, I don't invest more, uh, into that product for a period of time. And basically I'm going to like, okay, this has been acquired. I do use that solution. I'm probably not going to like try and ramp up and get more value out of the product. I'm like, I need to see what this is going to plan out and be like, and probably start betting out a plan B. It's, (laughs) it's amazing because like it's your position versus the idea of the whole mergers and acquisitions and building and ecosystem platforming is Mm -hmm. completely counter. (laughs) <laughs> they don't even come close to each other. Right. It's amazing that the people on the on this side don't realize that. Like, you, why why don't why are they not talking to people to understand that in order to counter the 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 position statement? I guess. Um, it, it's 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 completely uh, unstoppable force, immovable object, uh, equal and opposite action, you know, reaction type statement, right? Like, there's a ripple that occurs. Um. Let me let me ask you this question then. So let's let's put it out there because you mentioned co-managed. So some mm-hmm. of these tools are getting packaged to your customers, both 
fully manage and co-manage. They got to relearn stuff that, that hurts you. Um, the other thing that you got to figure out is like, I got to assume the bit, the, the bigger you are, the more flexibility you have in trying to counter the pricing changes, agreement changes, term changes, right? Like, mm-hmm. all know, right. The bigger you are, the more pool you have, but not everybody's big enough to have that pool. Um, and this actually fits right into this. Brent asks, Cole, how do you budget for this happening for the occurrence, right? The tool turnover, because one of the biggest, if you ask, if you go back and, and remember the, I, I call it the, the uh, ConnectWise auto task wars, right? And it's like, <laughs> oh, come over here, come over here. We'll beat the price. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. You never factor in your time to convert. Right. Always the hidden cost. Like, yeah. and here's the problem. It's so hidden that once you're six months into it, you're like, Psh, I, I'm in, I'm stuck. Like, I'm not doing this again anytime soon, right? Right. So how do you even, like, you're almost forced to plan for the burn. Yeah, I mean, you definitely are. What I would say is in terms of like, you know, even going back to the question, how do you budget? I mean, the reality is for me is, you know, every quarter we, we have like at least a, a, a subsection of my tools that we're always assessing. Is this the right fit for us? Maybe is there a better solution that comes out or do we just not like this product? I think by doing that, we essentially are as proactive as I can think we can be on vetting something and getting ahead of something where you're just getting burned um, because that is something we vet at the same time. It's like, okay, let's say we're going to a new email security solution. What is the lift to do that? Like how many hours per client? Okay, stretch that over 200 clients or whatever it is. Okay, well, I'm looking at a 600 hour job. Let's just say that's the case. Now, what is my ROI? Do I really not like that product for 600 hours worth of time? Um, is there enough business reason to validate that? So it's, it's and do you do the full transition? Do you only do some of it and leave your legacy where it is? That creates its own conflicts that I'm not a fan of, but sometimes um, it, is, it is valid to do so. Um, but the reality is you, you gotta, you gotta be, I guess, ahead of the game whenever you see this coming again, I would go back to if, if any of my vendors got acquired, obviously they would be moved to my next, I guess, cycle of assessments. Um, they're like, okay, they were just acquired. We have an assessment. We're doing it next month. They are now part of that talking track. Um, does it make sense? Who are the other players? Because from an MSP perspective, you got to protect yourself and you don't know what's going to happen once that acquisition happens. You can be cautiously optimistic. And that's how I view a lot of that stuff. Hey, maybe they'll get funding. They'll be able to do a lot of the things and build it out and be really awesome. And I mean, that's like your best case scenario. Um, but from a business perspective, that's put a lot of risk on you if you're just assuming that that's how it's going to go. So. so that's interesting. Your, your opinion on if a company raises funding is different than if they get acquired. Yes. I mean, it, well, because when I think the difference between raising funding and getting acquired, at least for me, is that there's generally different motivations that you're able to see from somebody getting raising funding to help build something and getting acquired and not really knowing what that end game is, both for the people who sold that are maybe are involved or maybe they're not. And both of those have different concerns. Like if you're really confident the CEO is why this company was so awesome. And then they got acquired and CEO stepping down or stepping away from the company. Well, that's a big red flag, right? Um, There's a lot of things that factor into that for me, but you know, somebody raising funding to help build something and scale it. Um, for me, that's going to have less risk um, from my perspective on what they're trying to accomplish um, than somebody who, yeah, we got acquired because we just didn't have it. Now they're the ones who are, you know, driving the vision with their money, with the funding that they needed. So I just think that it, it drives both narratives. 
Um, but it definitely causes more concern when, when I'm looking at the acquisition route. Okay. That's, I mean, that's good to know, right? Cause there's, you know, I was on with Ken Patterson earlier this week and there was, you know, three companies that just got multi-million dollar ra- raises, right? Which is awesome, right? You know, from mm-hmm. one perspective and then the acquisition news comes out and then it's slightly different, slightly different turn. So, so, so it's, it's safe to say then based on your last kind of comment that, the people that you're dealing with are as much part of the conversation as the actual technology solution. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it definitely is. I mean, there, I mean, obviously it can come into, come to effect, but if somebody, if I don't feel like if I can trust the vision of whoever that leadership is of that company um, and especially if I did trust the leadership and the leadership change, that's a big thing for me. And I think that's a big thing in business just in general. Um, I mean, I could say the same thing about one of my clients. If, if the CEO for one of my, my bigger clients left and steps down, I, that's a big concern for me. I've got to rebuild a relationship. I got to, they can trust the service, but trusting the person on the, on the other side of the service for me has always been a very important piece of just doing business in general, I guess. Maybe that's the Montana boy in me coming out. Um, but I think at the end of the day that it definitely, it definitely factors in, you know, if, if I don't even know the leadership, but it's a rock solid system and my techs love it. That, I mean, again, I'm not saying I'm going to jump just because of the leadership change, if it's still a rock solid, um, solution for what we're trying to do. Uh, but it would, I would be lying if I said it doesn't factor into my decision-making of course. Okay. That's good to know. So, uh, <laughs> a couple, couple comments coming in. Brent mm-hmm. says, we're Montana proud. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm down. And then JP, Hey JP, what's going hey. on? Uh, he actually chimes in with a pretty interesting uh, angle on things. So let's give it a shot. Have you Ooh. ever been presented with a proposition to just form a new company partnership without merging? For instance, if you work with a company as is now and filling a need for it, let's say digital security, actually then turning around and forming a new company out of that. Meaning like you've solved the need and now you've got to turn around and make that another entity. Mm. So I haven't crossed that bridge myself. I mean, well, I I will say we've been approached and kicked the tires on a few concepts, but never, I wouldn't say we've never really gotten far down, uh, far down in the weeds of what that would look like. Um, You know, it's, it's definitely a viable thing that I see happens. And I, and I actually kind of like that concept of course, but it's gotta be the right fit. And, you know, for me, I'd have to be really confident in what that looks like, uh, I guess, to validate, validate, you know, moving down that path. But uh, again, I've seen a lot of companies do it and a lot of, you know, MSPs who spun off, you know, sub, you know, sister companies and things like, and they're very successful. And it's sometimes it becomes more successful than what they were doing originally um, because they figured found a niche. Let's, let's, let's just go down that road for just a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, fully managed spurned IT glue. Uh, the Dozal brothers spurned out breakage. Yeah. Uh, the guys over at BNG spurned out connect booster. We did BVoIP out of our MSP and spurned it out to a new company. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a ton of companies that just come to mind, honestly. Like the let, next time you actually end up at a trade show, which maybe this year, maybe not, uh, walk down the aisle, I'd say there's 40% of them fit the mold that we're talking about right now. They came yeah. out like there was there was a square peg round hole. They didn't like the options. They said, let's build something. Mm-hmm. And they started a company. I'll tell you that. It all sounds great, but there's a lot of money involved. And there's a lot of time involved. Right. Um, and so, and, and here's the thing, right? Like if you borrow money from your MSP because you're cash flow positive, which I hope everyone is, by the way, great. And, but understand that that's not going to come back for several years, right? Mm-hmm. And the, but the other perspective is 
if you have to go out and raise money, this is now the other side of the train tracks. You know, like, all right, I have a great idea. I created a working prototype. I put it out into the world. Uh, but how do I scale it now? Right. That was the challenge. It takes money and people. You know, cart before the horse, chicken, egg. I don't care how you want to apply it. And then at that point, it comes back down to, well, where do I get the money? Mm-hmm. Like, do I take the long game? I build up, build up, build up, and just keep on dumping any money that comes in back into the company, which a lot of people do. Or do I go out and borrow money? Do I go out and raise money, right? Which comes back full circle to, and then does the vicious cycle start all over again where somebody comes down and just says, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know, no, you know, listen, I mean, Rocket Cyber is still fairly young, right? Good company, good product. I've heard great things. Yeah. yeah the only smart guy, him and his partner, they clearly got a very lucrative offer. Mm-hmm. This early in the game, pull the trigger. I would say that the uh, parallel to this was not that far ago. It was ID Agent, right? Mm-hmm. Situation. They were in it for like two years, maybe less. All of a sudden, they're now, you know, they get they get acquired. So um, it's very intriguing. The um, the money men, I call it the bad guys. Well, not bad bag money. Bag. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it seems like as time has gone on they're targeting companies earlier and earlier into their, into their timeline. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but that's a really good point. And I definitely, I would definitely agree with that. I think, um, you know, there's always the opportunity cost, right? Well, if you get them all, they're smaller, it's going to be cost you way less than if you let them mature for a couple of more years and they scale. Uh, and also, you know, in, in the early days, that's usually when they're in a very, they could potentially be in a very cash flow negative situation. And maybe again, so you can either buy it for less or they're just, they're out looking because they are just in a very challenging position, you know, looking at rocket cyber. And I think I, I, again, we don't use them, but I've looked at, I've vetted out. I think it's a really, real, it's really good what they've done and what they've created specifically for, for the MSP space. Um, you know, I, you know, I think that they could have grown obviously by themselves, not knowing of the cash flow and everything that they needed on the back end infrastructure and been extremely successful independently. And they could obviously be super, super successful as part of Kaseya as well. I mean, you never really know how that all plans out because, you know, maybe they're really effective at selling that into the Kaseya ecosystem now. And I, I think that that's an interesting trade off. And, and that was another conversation. And I guess I'm spinning off this a little bit is, you know, what, do you, how do you handle or what do you think of like the PR aspect of, okay, so what if 30% of their, uh, you know, their, their client base is a ConnectWise shop and, you know, and the, all those ConnectWise partners are now at risk because they don't like that it was just bought by a Kaseya or whatever it is. I think there's an interesting interesting avenue and i don't know what your thoughts are is when you do get acquired by one of those major players what is the concern what is the business risk for everyone who just doesn't like that doesn't doesn't like that company i mean if you go by the keyboard muscle people and <laughs> i love those guys i hey listen nothing wrong nothing wrong but we see it every all day long every day mm-hmm. uh, the second that announcement came out there were very loud keyboard typers that said i'm starting to look for something else immediately Instant. And right. you're just like, okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, this is like day zero, guys. Like, literally, did they come to you and raise your price. Like, was there an instant email that came out the second after you saw that saying your price just went? Like, wh- like mm-hmm. why? Right. Like, especially if you're very early on to it, I guess it's easier to leave. But if you're invested, you know, there's got to be like, I assume that there's an agreement of some sort. There's got to be time. Right. 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 Um, you know, and then there's some, there's people like you call who are like, 
let's let's give it a little bit to see where this is going right mm-hmm. like are these people sticking around are they going away or or you know like what's the roadmap is there a roadmap like mm-hmm. obvious reasonable questions to ask right right and then there's the hey you know i'm already doing business with these people maybe i can work a combo deal out and get a discount <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Right? yeah like, you know, as you start to add more and more products. So there's no question. And I would hope that there's a PR strategy around any of this, right? Just putting out the announcement and acquisitions happened. I mean, that that's easy. That's a press release, right? Well, putting it out early apparently is not the right play. Well, yeah, unexpectedly early is probably not. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um yeah, you'd, obviously you'd hope there's a PR play involved. I mean, I think you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. There's going to be a lot of different categories where MSPs fall. I mean, again, some MSPs are like, ah, I really don't care. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's their perspective. It's like, I, I worry about the tool. I'm not really care, I guess, who owns them at the end of the day. That's, I mean, and again, I think that's totally viable as well. I think, I think that's a little too, for me, a little too headstrong. I think you at least got to factor it in because anytime somebody gets acquired, stuff changes. I'm not going to, that's that. But I think it'd be a lie to claim otherwise. Now, maybe it's not significant and maybe it's only stuff for the better. But either way, stuff changes. So I think it's got to be on your radar. Um, But I also go to the other side. And I guess having never been burned by maybe one of the companies that's acquiring somebody that I use um, of the instant like, oh, well, I just don't like that parent company. So I'm just I'm completely done today. I'm submitting my cancellation. You know, I think that's a completely different extreme that, um, you know, I think that's that's too reactionary. I mean, again, Literally nothing has changed. And if you like the service yesterday, uh, the service today is still the same service. Now, it might not be the same service in six months or a year from now, um, but today is the same thing you you were buying yesterday and you were happy yesterday. So um, I, would, I, would, I would argue, Cole, as part of the strategy of putting an announcement out on a timeline that you expected, may I add, like there should be, hey, here's where the company's going. Here's the next 16 to 18 months. Here's the plan. Here's what we're building. Here's the roadmap. That would put a lot of people at ease, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. I mean, you, whenever you acquire, and again, we've done acquisitions of MSPs and you have to think through the exact same thing. Is like when I'm acquiring an MSP, how are you going to communicate to that, to, to the client base of that everyone? Here, here's the team. Here's the changes that we are not making to the team. You know, your account managers, all of that. Or if you are being very clear on what that looks like and the reasoning for it. But it's, it, I mean, it's similar when you're when an MSP acquires another MSP and you got to reinforce that with the client base. That's what we're talking about here with the vendors and, and us as the clients. Uh, I think uh, I think that part gets missed by almost almost all vendors. To your point, I can't remember the last time I saw an acquisition that was followed or followed by, "Hey, here's our roadmap for what's happening in the next 12, 18 months." I don't think I've ever seen that, and nothing I can recall. We're gonna record this and start sending it to people. Like, pay attention, right? Yes, I like that. Um, it, it boggles my mind why they don't do that. So, Brent actually brings up a good question. He's like our number one best question and uh, asker here at, at MSP Initiative. What kind of investment does it take to get the attention of a rob, rocket cyber guesses? Um, well, Brent, I don't know the last time you went out and checked what the um, uh, multiples are on, on software as a service based companies, because that's where the conversation starts. Cole actually brought up a good point not too long ago, which is these guys may be in the red. But the multiples for SaaS valuations, and I'm sure Cole will tell you that's not the case on MSP acquisitions, is on top line gross reoccurring revenue, not EBITDA, not bottom line. It's completely counter to what we've been thinking this entire time, which is, well, if you're negative, you're in the red. Why do I want to buy you? You're not a profitable company. On the 
side, these software companies, like there's a lot of motivation for why they get acquired. Sometimes people are buying them for IP and, and, and assets. Sometimes people are like, Hey, this is a great running company. We want to land and expand, right? Grow this up and, and, and blow it up a little bit um, in a good way. Not, you know, in pieces, um, right. but like you could be totally in the red, but get a payout on your top line multiple. I mean, that's a lot of the way these people raise money, right? That they're kind of burning through their cash so fast that they got to get to the next funding round, which is probably not the best way to do it, but a lot of people do. So back to the, the point I was trying to make, which is coming into the end of 2020, think about that pandemic year for whatever that's worth to you into this year. I don't want to get in political, right? Administration change, stock market changes, like that mm-hmm. does play, by the way. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just being honest. Right. These transactions, the multiple, if you go out to the street, um, four years ago, it was 4.8x of top line gross reoccurring revenue. So simple math. If I did a million dollars in, in, in annual revenue, my company's worth 4.8 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. Simple math. Simple math. Now that multiple today is 8.4 X <laughs> went up. It, it almost doubled. So now a million dollars means that you're an $8.4 million uh, valuation of your software company. And again, you could have all the debt in the world, but that's your value. So, and that's the average, right? Like to, you know, every deal slightly different. And so again, and I'm just telling you this because I, I get these all day long, right? Growth and churn are the two big metrics that play, right? Not a not profitability, not if you're in the red, if you're in the black, although that helps. Growth and churn, right? So if your churn is low and your growth is generally high or, re, or okay or industry median, you're going to get, your, you're going to get the, the street multiple for your valuation. Does that make sense, Cole? Am I on or are you? Oh, no, you're, you're totally spot on. And, and it's, and again, it makes me always makes me think I'm in the wrong industry because it, when you're looking at MSPs, it's the exact opposite. It's again, like you said, it's going to be a multiple, multiple based on that EBITDA. And again, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You got to do your due diligence to see where that lands, but you know. So, you, so let's ask you a question, Cole. I'm going to throw a scenario out there, but we, we had a couple, we had a whole series on MA last year. We had Arlen on from HTG, now ConnectWise. We had a bunch of people like, um, um, uh, the guys from smile back and, you know, who, who, you know, Jameson West who sold his MSPs. Um, when you go to buy an MSP, it's all about net. And there's a couple of different things in that net, right? It's not just, are you profitable? It's also, well, did you allocate enough money for you, the person running the business, if you're the person leading it? And once you start taking some of the owner's expenses out of the company, because the expectation is, is that, hey, you know, if you're not here anymore, these expenses aren't here too. Like there is a true up that happens when you do that calculation, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you start going to due diligence and you start really peeling through that, you'll notice a lot of those again, that they weren't, they weren't on the payroll. So they weren't on the books and you, and maybe they're not sticking around, but it maybe you do or don't need somebody to replace them. You know, you got to factor all of those in. So maybe just for easy math, maybe they were a 200,000, you know, CEO, they're not going to be around, but you know, it's in a new location. So you do need somebody to at least be like a GM or someone to manage the day to day. So maybe you got to hire somebody for a hundred. So you're able to offset that. Um, but you gotta, you gotta factor that in when you're trying to figure out what is that, what, again, what is that true up? What is that true net that you're trying to buy? Uh, and you know, MSPs are, especially, 
I guess through COVID, it, it really threw a lot of financials for a lot of people in the in the wrench. But uh, what is it, EBITDAC or whatever? Um, yeah, uh, which some people think is a completely joke. You know, C at the end, EBITDA with the coronavirus at the end. Yeah. Um, you listen, it, it, it's explainable, but it also changes the posi- the negotiating power, right? It, it really does. And it, there's some fascinating things that I saw last year between people wanted it being evaluated on their 2019 financials if 2020, they wanted the best case scenario when you were the seller, right? And of course you would like, oh, well, 2020 was a down year because of COVID and everybody's down. So you can't blame me for that. But on the flip side, we've seen companies like boom through it. And obviously they want you to use the 2020 number. So they're it's, it really became almost like a seller's market in that regard. They're like, no, I want you to look at either my 2019 because that was before all the mess or 2020 because, hey, I'm a cloud shop and everybody was buying my stuff and then we just exploded, right? Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then it's up to the buyer to be like, all right, well, what are you going to take as tangible value? I mean, again, for me, if you were, you know, if you were a $6 million company in 2019 and you're a $4 million company now and in 2020, you know, am I going to chalk 33% of you just like, are you going to rebound? Am I expecting you to rebound to that 6 million? You got to sell me on why that is. Um, Cause I'm not expecting it. Uh, I'm like, look back, those, those businesses are gone. They're not your clients anymore, whatever it might be. I'm more of like, like I'm, I'm judging you on your performance or what it is now. I mean, and you're probably selling because 2020 sucked. And that's, that's one of the reasons you're looking at it. Um, and obviously that's just taking, you know, this situation or this last year kind of at a glance, but at the end of the day, that's, that's how you have to look at these things. You gotta, you gotta do the eagle eye view because you, you absolutely cannot buy something and then be like, ah, oh, we'll just figure it out. Um, this is like, you're, you're never going to buy something and say like, oh, they make a million a year and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to buy it. We're going to figure it out. Yeah, we're going to figure it out. Um, you're going to buy something for a million a year, but like, oh, we'll just keep making a million a year. You've got to have a plan. I mean, everyone talks about synergies and that's a whole bunch of, bunch of different things. And that's a very valuable reason for why you would, why you could buy somebody. Um, but it, you, if you don't have a formula, formula, formula tick way to, I don't even know that's a word, but either way, <laughs> some formula in order to assess that, put, put, put numbers in and out. Uh, I basically got a, a, a a much bigger than it probably should be Excel sheet that I can plug a lot of these financial stuff into. Um, and then again, you got to put your bank notes against it. And what is all that going to cost you from an interest and what are you paying up front versus over time? There's all of those factors, of course. Let me actually go right into this because this is a good point. So, okay. MSP, uh, <laughs> Brent says, form you lay LC. I don't know if I follow that. But okay. um, so, 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 so think about this, right? Uh, whether you believe him or not, I, I, uh, Paul Dipple. I've all I always called him Doctor Doom because every time you actually got somewhere you said you were supposed to go to, you now all of a sudden you're back to freshman year and you're starting all over again. But Paul Dipple, who since sold his company to ConnectWise, funny enough, not long ago, mm-hmm. uh, he was Mister. Hey, I'm going to tell you where you are in the in the space, what your maturity is, where where your business is in comparison to other MSPs, and so on and so forth. He would say, I'm sure you heard this a thousand times, Cole. Best in class MSP is making 20% growth year over year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Flip it to the software side, Brent, because you asked this question earlier. The expectation for a software company is 40% growth or more per year. It's different, but think about that. That the, the, the ceiling is higher a little bit. Now, let's go back to okay, the multiples are different, the top versus the net, and all of that, right? We talked about this. The deal structure is huge. It really, really is. Like, mm-hmm. think about the big guys that we've been talking about acquiring these up and coming software companies, or maybe more mature software companies, wherever they are in their, their state, their, their journey, do they get 
hey, here's a check. Here's your 8.4X off the top. Here you go. Have a nice vacation. Don't call us. We won't call you. Okay? Mm -hmm. Very rarely does that happen. Very rarely does it happen. Usually what happens is it's cut into pieces. The deal's cut into pieces. And usually in that conversation, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to hear from Cole how some of his positioning is on the MSP side. But usually somewhere in that conversation is, hey, we're going to give you a chunk up front. We're going to give you a chunk if you stay around. And then we're going to give you a chunk based on if you hit a certain sales metric. And if all three of those things hit, you're going to get 100% of what we're offering you. But if you don't, now all of a sudden it goes backwards in, in math, right? So that's yeah. usually never just, here's a check, have a nice day. Cole, I'm sure the same happens on the MSP side. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you don't just do a blank check. Even if you're confident that you're going to retain it, that puts all of the risk back on you again, right? You just sold it for everything and they have no skin in the game and you have no idea. Um, the reality is, um, there's a lot of things that come into play when you're doing that. You know, the amount that you pay up front can have a direct impact on your multiplier that you're going to pay. Maybe you're going to pay them more up front, so you're going to lower that multiplier, man, because they want more cash up front or vice versa. So that becomes just a natural part of the conversation. But very commonly, or at least this is how we I always approach it, is you, you're going to do a payment up front. Maybe it's 50, 60, whatever it might be. Again, you start to work with that with somebody and then you're going to split over. Maybe it's five years or whatever it is in terms of paying out what's left. But you're going to want to tie that back to, and again, it's also going to depend on is that person staying around or are they just going, uh, which um, we've done both essentially. The reality is they both have their pros and cons. I'm being honest, you're dealing with somebody who used to be an owner who's not an owner anymore. That can go, depending on their personality, that can blow up in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, you want them, if they assuming they're sticking around, you want, okay, if you keep your client base and you keep your, keep your profitability, again, you'll get that 100%. And maybe you can even put an incentive on it. Maybe you'll get 105% on, or on that, on that 40% that I haven't paid you if you can grow this and keep it going, right? But also from a risk perspective, if their clients start leaving, if they can't keep them around, I'm not going to pay you as much because what I bought isn't what it is anymore. Um, so making sure that you it, it lowers the risk tremendously from a buyer perspective by doing that because if, if half their clients go, I'm, I've obviously got, a, I've made a bad assessment when I acquired them to begin with, if that's the case. Uh, but at least I'm offsetting that with at least what my payout was going to be. Which comes back to the conversation we had, which is, oh, well, the announcement came out. Oh, I'm looking for something else. You know, like nobody, like they surely don't want to see people jumping off the ship on day zero. Exactly. Uh, for sure. Right. Like that's, that's the, the, the negative approach, but there's something to be said for, you know, Hey, you know, like if, if the people are staying in it, then you understand they're in it because they're trying to get to an outcome too. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, unless their, their career path is, Hey, they're just going to be part of the larger organization when it's all said and done. Which, which definitely could happen. I think when you see that kind of, I won't say that player, that angle, you'll notice that they shift out of it. Um, you know, they're no longer tied to that, that, that company that was acquired. Obviously, they move into the larger parent company. If that's going to become a long-term career path, in my experience, that's typically what I've seen. If, if somebody's staying and it is, it, it's like we talked about, it's probably going to be because they've got a three or five year or whatever year commit that they're trying to drive both new business and obviously retain the current clients on. Um, so they're very driven. And that's where I think even, I guess, being devil's advocate, generally uh, the decision maker for that company, usually they've even negotiated that. Like, I don't want you to mess with certain things because that will directly impact my, you know, my connect my side of business or my cassette or whatever it is. If hopefully you're negotiating that, if you're not, I would recommend it, I guess, if anyone on here is thinking about selling. Um, but you, 
from playing devil's advocate, that is one of the things that I would, I guess, encourage or feel confident about somebody who gets acquired is that if done correctly, they should have built protections to incentivize them to not, not take away all of the things that you probably liked about that vendor to begin with. Right. So this, this all comes back into, um, and there's probably another cause worth of, let's think back through the last five years of transactions. And there's a lot of them. There's probably three pages of them. If I had to guess, right. Which ones would we call, eh, which ones would we call successful and which ones would we call dumpster fire edition? Right. Mm. I mean, I'm that'd, be sure a fun, that'd be a fun addition right there. <laughs> it would be a very interesting exercise because these are all names that are, are like, we all know, right. I mean, mm-hmm. and whether they've been rebranded or not, whether they've been acquired or not, I mean, we can all get a feel right of where these things went. Um, but it, it's really interesting, you know, zooming back. Right. Uh, and let's just talk about this week for, you know, 30 seconds, Atara, who basically will compete with, the big guys, the small guys, right? They're like a PSA RMM kind of combo, right? Right. Yep. They got a lot of money. You got, you know, I guess an MSP who's really more software driven than anything else, right? Electric, mm-hmm. uh, forty million to continue their software development, their orchestration, all that jazz. Yeah, uh, which is an interesting combo effect, right? Because it kind of sit on both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocket Cyber, uh, which we've been talking about during this, right? Um, Security driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of money in the last 12 months has been very security focused. Uh, SOC, MDR, uh, Next Gen AV, like that whole conversation, right? Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot of focus there. Um, but then, hey, you saw just this week too, Arc Serve and Storage Craft merged. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's so much activity in, just in the vendor space in general within it. It's like, obviously you've got to keep on it daily because every, basically every single day, you're probably going to definitely every week, potentially every single day, you're going to be like, oh, well, these guys are merged or this guy got funded or this guy got acquired. Um, there's, it's such a moving target just to try and keep, I won't say keep the industry peeled, peeled thin down, but just understand what is all the activity that's going on. It's almost, it's a job in and of itself for some people. Um, <laughs> Joe, Joe Panettieri and others, I'm sure, are very busy. Yeah, I mean, it's a great problem for them, right? There's never a lack of things to cover, um, but it, it it just creates an interesting dynamic. And you know, we talked and we talked about it a little here, of course. Is what is that long game? What does this? I say, what does the industry even look like? And I don't, I don't think it. Obviously, nobody can answer that. But is it just a consolidation of like three or four major players, and everything sits under that, or does it? Or are the ones that shine the ones that don't do that and they stay agnostic and they feed into those, you know, from an ecosystem integration perspective, but not owned by them, Um, you know, and you even mentioned it earlier. Well, if you do go with the ecosystem and you stay with all their core products, do you get discounts on all those? And that incentivizes you to stay that instead of going to the competition's alternative, which is a natural thing for for those kind of providers or carriers to do. Um, I think that. um, Hey, let's not let's add a couple of other wrinkles in there. There's distribution. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also buying groups. So there's a lot of different wrinkles that ultimately get affected because by the time an acquisition happens, largely there's a lot of avenues to which sales are occurring, right? And mm-hmm. how deals are made and how discounts are applied. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of strings attached. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, and the distributional ones, it's definitely an interesting one for me because I was, again, going back to Rocket Cyber, I was thinking because they obviously, I think it was last month or maybe it was early this month, I think Pax H has started to, to offer them through their distribution. So um, those ones, what that means, I have no idea. Um, but I'm not going to pretend to know the distribution, you know, channel specifically very well, but there's a lot of ramifications and it even goes back to that integration. Like, are they going to continue to invest and build on the distribution or from like a SAIA perspective, are they not worried about that? Cause that's not how they plan to grow and sell that specific line of service. Um, so that just goes to the wayside, right? Um, because they want to focus it more. No, we don't want that going through distribution. We want that going through us and our sales teams. So it, it, like you're saying, there's a lot of different wrinkles that come in from a sales channel perspective every time this kind of thing happens. Um, well, it's, it's it'll, you know, to your point, like maybe we will have a show coming up where we like basically do a checklist and be like, oh, let's take a pull from the room. We'll have five people on. And you're like, yeah, no, nah. Um, but um, five years from now, what does this all look like? That's a big question. I think that's, a, that's a, it's an important one to step back and understand, you know, where is your business in five years? Where is this whole channelized based conversation in five years? Are, are they going in parallel? Are they in different areas? And then um, I still would argue <laughs> that it's, you know, for, for an MSP to start saying, well, we'll just build this in house. And we'll just, like there, there's a, there's a it completely upside down imbalance when everybody decides to just start building stuff on their own. It's not just the cost of development and support, but their security and scaling. You know, we all require software. I don't think there's any way to hide from that. Yeah, no, I mean, when, when everyone starts to say, oh, well, we'll just build it ourselves, like to your point, that, that's a really dangerous road to go down for a lot of different ways. And sometimes that can obviously be, be super successful. You can come up with a great idea. Like even back to the earlier part of the conversation, you can spin off, spin off your own company and hey, because you had a really great idea and you did that. I mean, I, I'll say playing devil's advocate again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that's generally not the rule of thumb. A lot of people do that. They build something else. Maybe they even still go to creating a company off that. Um, but it's probably more of a distraction, a cash flow pull from their main entity. Um, and it generally doesn't go a lot of places. I think, you know, I think it goes back to when you, you mentioned earlier, so many people are getting acquired earlier and earlier and earlier. I think, it, like you said, it goes back to, well, they just, I think from their perspective, they want the IP, they want the framework. And it's early enough that they, they can also mold that to be much more on what they want it to be, um, rather than something that's a lot more mature and then a lot, lot tougher to, to unwind both from the client perspective and just how you integrate it and whatever you want to do with it moving forward. Yeah. It's very interesting. So, I mean, this was a, <clears throat> we went a lot of places in this, in this one topic, but it's mm-hmm. one, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on and it's definitely worth, um, you know, strength in numbers is probably the best way to say it. Right. Like, you know, again, the bigger you are, the more buying power you have, the better off you are, regardless of what happens, because then you're in a position where, you're not just waiting for the shoe to drop. You have leverage is probably the right word. Um, right. But, you know, it, you know, we all hear rumors. We all keep our ears to the ground. Uh, I'm sure we're far from done. We're almost in March. And we're, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg, especially for this year. So Absolutely. Um, we'll definitely have you back on as things progress. And maybe we'll have that show we talked about where we, we go back and look at the last five years and say what actually worked. It's starting to become a more and more interesting topic in my head as we, you know, every minute goes by. That'll be, uh, <laughs> be a good time. Thanks everyone for watching. Um, we're on every Tuesdays and Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time. These are all recorded. You can go back and watch them. Maybe you go back and listen to how Cole looks at acquiring MSPs. If you're in that, maybe you were interested in selling and you want to hear how these people look at you, but um, 
definitely worth you know checking out some of these. Uh, and then just a reminder, Channel Strong Tours coming back next month. So for anyone who's in Texas or Florida, uh, and I think we're actually our last stops in Atlanta. So if you're in that area, we're coming by your backyard. No trains, no planes. Just drive down the road, meet us outside, and you know, say hello. Thanks, everyone, for watching. And uh, Colt, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me, Deirdre. Appreciate it. You got it. Cheers. See you guys.